welcome to Beef and Forage Roundup with host Chantal McRae. This podcast is a production of Manitoba Beef and Forage Initiatives, created to share information with farmers, producers, and agriculture enthusiasts to showcase the important work that is happening at MBFI. Our podcasts drop on the first and third Wednesday each month. We will be sharing information through interviews with General Manager Mary Jane Orr, project leads for various projects, MBFI team members, speakers from our extension events, industry leaders, and industry suppliers. This podcast will dig deep into on-farm research and field testing practices related to beef cattle and forage production and efficiency and sustainability of practice in the agricultural industry in Manitoba. We will be sharing information on upcoming training and workshops, field and farm demonstration tours, education materials and events at MBFI, as well as producer profiles from around the province, and information on their own trials, challenges, innovation, and results. We encourage you to browse our social media accounts and website for links to more information on projects, upcoming events, and important deadlines. Information on our social accounts and website can be found following the show and in the show notes. As always, we encourage you to email us if you have feedback, questions, or topic suggestions for the show at information at mbfi.ca. Owen Taylor runs a 200-head commercial Angus cow-calf operation with his parents, Mark and Brenda, and his wife and daughters. Owen and his wife, Tiana, were married in 2006 and have since welcomed four daughters, Kinley, Macy, Scarlett, and Arwen. Their family moved to the farm in October 2007. Owen's days are filled with activities including volleyball, golf, curling, hockey, and figure skating. Both he and his wife love watching their girls grow on the farm. They start calving in mid-April on stockpiled grass and rotationally graze their cattle herd through the grazing season. For the last few years, Owen has been selling steer calves in mid-November and keeping the heifer calves to breed the following summer. Owen's dad started experimenting with seed blends more than a decade ago, mostly oats and peas for the purpose of livestock feed. They started trying more complex blends with limited results. They were using six to eight species, but only ever saw two to three species in any amount. Now they use covers and co-blends for silage bales, dry bales, mob grazing, early spring grazing, fall grazing, and swath grazing. They've used no synthetic fertilizer on their farm for four years. Welcome to the podcast today, Owen. Hi, thanks for having me, Chantel. I'm really, really excited. Awesome. Can you please share a bit about yourself and your background in agriculture to start us off? When I was younger, my dad had a mixed farm, cow-calf operation and grain. And then probably when I was late teens, well, actually it was around BSC, we transitioned to straight cattle, um, which I guess in hindsight was maybe a a poor decision the way things all turned out. But uh, we are strictly cow-calf now. We do very, very little cash cropping, a little bit, but mostly grow uh, polycrop mixtures to feed our cattle. We calve in spring, 200 cow-calf pair. I have a wife and four kids are involved and then with my mom and dad. That kind of seems a little backwards to me as to what most people did at BSE as far as we're like my parents got out of cows. Yeah, and I think dad and I both really enjoyed cattle. It was what we enjoyed doing and we were a pretty limited land base. So we would have had to, yeah, like your parents did and lots of guys would have had to completely get rid of the cattle mm-hmm. and then just, and even then the grain prices weren't that great then either. Right. So neither neither option was a no brainer. Like if canola was $20 then, I think that's what we would have done, you know, but, yeah. uh, and we thought, 
And I guess we were a little bit wrong, but we thought, well, this will turn around. And when it does, it'll be really good. And mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we're still here, so it hasn't been all bad, but you're right. It, it was a, we were the oddball for sure when we made that decision. That's so interesting. Can you tell me who Covers & Co. is and what the company's vision and goals are? Yeah, we are, um, well, we're, a, we're a company, simply put, that blends different seed blends together. But our motto is connecting farmers to soil health. And that is our overall arching goal. We certainly are a for-profit company make money selling blends, of course, but that's what we really want to do. And through our website, which I think is excellent, I personally can take no credit for it, but that's what we're trying to do is connect the average farmer to soil health and try to and help them implement different practices that will improve their bottom line and improve their soil health. I like the motto and I have to say it is a fantastic website. I was on there quite a bit and cruised through and there's lots of things to offer and it's very easy to find everything mm. that you're looking for. And we're going to link the website and a few extra things in the show notes so that if listeners are looking for that later on, they can find that easily. As a seed supplier, where do you see the greatest potential to diversify the agricultural landscape? Well, I think cattle farmers that are growing a monocrop oat or barley silage, that is where we we can make our biggest impact to cattle farms. Potato farms, now that McCain has came out with that every potato producer has to be regenerative by, I think it's 2030. We haven't done any specific trials with potato farmers, but we have potato farmers that are doing like rotational grazing, mob grazing cattle with our full season cover crop every other year. And we have no hard data, but I think as far as affecting the most possible acres, it it could be from the potato side of things, actually. Um, I mean, I love the cattle farms and we're making a big difference there, but that is one, one spot where I think we're going to make a big difference. I hadn't heard that. So that's really interesting to mm-hmm. hear. It's just, they're, they're off years. They're, they're growing a Well, I mean, I'm not a potato farmer and, and don't have much knowledge myself, but on their off years, they're growing a cereal mm-hmm. and it's for a loss. Their, their soil, potato soil is often very degraded, blows a lot. So they just grow the cereal on the off year for some sort of rotation and they're not gaining anything. So the, the idea is to grow up a cover crop and then actually have an increased potato yield so they can make money grazing the cattle and improve their soil and get more money for potatoes. So, I mean, I wish I had more to expand on that. I don't, other than the few potato producers we've talked to that are doing it are seeing very positive results. That might be something that we should follow up on as a podcast too, and see if we can talk to a producer that's doing that. It makes a ton of sense when you drive past some of those potato fields and like you, mm-hmm. you can see how much it's blowing on windy days when you drive past. So. Yeah. And I mean, not every potato farmer is going to want to integrate cattle, but even the green manure plow down is better than what they're doing, right? It's just, mm-hmm. there's no income from that. That's strictly from a soil health standpoint. So there's actually zero income would come from a green manure plow down. Super cool. Broadly speaking, why should a producer consider intercropping or growing a cover crop or polycrop? Soil health. When you get more plant diversity, there's more root exits into the soil. You're stimulating more biology. You're increasing your soil aggregates, increasing water infiltration. And so that's, I mean, that, that's really it. You can go down a whole other path with that and, and why soil health is important and stuff. But, but simply put, they should do it to save money by not putting down fertilizer. And then you're increasing your soil health. And I guess for, for future generations too, Chantel, right? Like we mm-hmm. all want, I mean, I'm not all of us have children, but if, if people want children to remain on the land, it's an inconvenient truth that our soil is degrading. And it will only degrade for so long. We're really blessed where we live here in, in Southern Manitoba with good topsoil, especially the River Valley, but nothing lasts forever. 
it's a depressing stance to take, but we, we want this to go on for forever. We need to go, it to go on forever to feed people. That is why I think people should, should uh, introduce polycrops or some sort of regenerative practices on their farms. And I think that that's a big topic for a lot of farmers. There's a lot of people that are really looking or interested in what's going to be left for my kids or my grandkids. Because mm-hmm. it's not usually a one generation and then the farm sells to somebody else. Traditionally, I would say it's more of a family run operation. And then there's there's that that need for future generations to also have that ability to farm. Yeah, and it's I find it tough. Like I have so many friends that are that are grain farmers and very, very good at it. And it's a tough conversation to broach that, hey, what you're doing, your grandkids might not have this land. And it's just uh it, an inconvenient truth is what it is. It, it's tough. And if I, any of my grandparent friends listen to this, I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. But <laughs> it's just a, one of those yeah, sad facts, really. There are several intercrop library resources on the Covers & Co. website. Can you share what a few of these are and the topics they cover? Yeah, like the little bit we do have on there for intercropping, um, hairy vetch is a big one. It's a cool season legume. So it loves shade. So like corn, oats, sunflowers grown with hairy vetch. Hairy vetch is a, it's, it's, it's really small in its first year. It doesn't fix a lot of nitrogen for the crop it's growing with, but it's really good at leaving residual nitrogen in the soil. So it doesn't necessarily save you fertilizer that first year, but you can grow it, say with oats, harvest the oats, and then the hairy vetch is there for grazing cattle after. Red clover Italian ryegrass in a cereal is another real simple one. In the case of Italian ryegrass, they have all the herbicide options. So they don't have to really change anything other than, you know, sowing five pounds of Italian ryegrass with their wheat. And then uh, peas canola is another one that lots of guys have tried. I know lots of guys in my area have tried it. And especially with forage peas, which are worth a lot of money. I've never had the pleasure, but apparently they're just miserable to harvest. And if a little bit of canola in there will just simply hold the forage peas up and just makes it easier to harvest. So those are the ones that we kind of talk about on the website that are the simplest ones. There's, there's lots more, but those are the ones that, you know, someone can take that first little baby step into intercropping without completely changing a whole bunch of other things. And you've kind of talked a little bit about this, but just very briefly, how can the use of cover crops and plant diversity reduce input costs, extend the grazing season and improve soil health? The first part, like diversity and the right amount of diversity. If you sowed 15 species at 65 pounds, but 50 pounds of that 65 was one crop, yes, you've got 15 different species, but that one crop is going to dominate the canopy. It's going to, most of the root exits come from that one species, and you're not really getting the advantage of plant diversity. So with the right amount of plant diversity, which I think Covers & Co. is really, really good at, our blends are super, that everything, it's only sowed at 65 pounds an acre, so everything has an even chance at sunlight. So you're reducing your fertilizer because we've given mother nature the opportunity that everything has an even chance at sunlight. So based on your soil type, rainfall, temperature, our full season blend has warm and cool season species in it. So you'll feel it more prominent in one or the other. If everything works out right, you're going to get a good tonnage, no matter whether it's heavy and warm or cool season, you haven't spent any money on fertilizer. The the legumes provide nitrogen and then through the different root exudates and more stimulated biology, we're able to access nutrients that are otherwise tied up in the soil profile. So zero nitrogen bill, pretty consistent tonnage, and then regrowth after. In our full season blend, for example, the clover, the ryegrass, and the hairy vegetable regrow, which is an excellent fall grazing 
option for, for farmers. And how many different blends do you have? And I guess, do you do custom blends if there's farmers that want specific seed types in a blend? We don't do custom blends currently. It's something we've talked about. Uh, Maybe as we evolve as a company, we'll have the ability to do custom blends. Currently, we offer four, our full season, which is kind of our flagship. There's 15 species in there. And like I mentioned, warm and cool season species. We have a, uh, that one is mostly for dry feed or silage. Also, lots of guys will graze during the growing season, like a mob grazing, which is a super way to really boost soil health because you're adding the manure and the urine and saliva from the animal, leaving a lot of litter on the soil. We have a warm season cover that works really well for swath grazing. There is some cool season species in there, like oats and peas, for example, but it's heavier in the warm season. We have a sod seeded blend that's been really popular. It was simply species. We had people three years ago sowing the full season into sod but we would only see three or four different species with the energy to be able to germinate and push through the sod. So we simply observed, made a sod seed blend based on those particular species. And then we have a cool season cover, which is kind of the, almost the irrigation cover. Or if a guy wants to sow in the middle of April, you won't see any of the warm season species. They need a, a warmer soil temperature to germinate. So that fits really well in the irrigated system. So early, lots of moisture are the four main blends we have. We're always kind of experimenting with a few different ones, but those are the four that we're offering for sale this year, I guess. And are they all typically like a spring sown blend? Yeah. Yeah. We do have a fall forage blend. It is tough for us because we need to source all that in the early spring, you know, to blend it up. Um, Mm -hmm. It's hard to get those winter cereals sourced then. And then it's just every fall so different. Right. There's, there's only certain pockets that are, you know, got the canola or wheat off early enough to sow a fall blend. It is a great idea. You can sow your fall blend, harvest it by grazing or silaging in the spring, and then go in with a warm season plant or a warm season blend. And you're getting one and a half or two crops in, in one year. It's tough. We'd like to offer that all the time. It's just tough for us logistically to have a blended to know how much we're going to sell. But in that same topic, if, if a guy's interested, just if you get a hold of fall rye or winter triticale, it's a wonderful idea to get it sowed. Diversity is great, but I mean, it, any living root is putting root excess into the ground, sequestering carbon, it's all good. But So that is one blend that people should pay attention to the website. If we do feel there's a big enough area that could, could use it and we can source the seed, then we will offer that blend for sale. It's good to know. We did a little bit of sowing this fall and it kind of seemed like there was about three days where... I was like, everybody go, you got to get this sown before it's too late. The fall oh, is hard time. Gotta, if, if you're also a grain farmer, I and mean, often you've got to get off the combine, mm-hmm. right? To go sow that or hire someone to do it, or it, it, it is tough. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of people's heads go to cover crops or just an annual you sow after your cash crop, just for the purpose of soil health. In our climate, most years that doesn't work. Yeah. But that's, I guess, connecting farmers to soil health, we're trying to change that. There's way more to cover crops than just, so in September for the purpose of soil health, and then that's it. And it's just not enough motivation to get us off the combine. And I mean, I wouldn't do it either, get off the combine to go so September 1st, just because, right? So it, yeah, it is tricky, but hopefully we're educating more people that there's more to cover cropping than just throwing something in the ground in the fall. How do you address concerns for not supplying fertilizer on fields that typically rely on targeted inputs to meet yield goals? We do it through diversity and the, Like I said, I didn't really come from a grain farming background, so I kind of just have the basics of this. But when you take a soil test, all a typical soil test reads is soluble nutrients. 
nutrients that are plant available. But everybody's soil, and I wish I had, a, I, I should have wrote this down, but everyone's soil is full of, of all these nutrients that are tied up in the soil profile that are there. They're just not accessible from a monocrop because you have one root exit going into the soil. You're not stimulating enough biology. So through a blend, uh, the, the one that everybody kind of gets is legumes, fixed nitrogen, right? They, when they photosynthesize, they put nitrogen down through the root exudates. So through biology, the other plants are able to access the nitrogen from the legumes through biology, but it works for all nutrients. Phosphorus is a big one. Phosphorus is tied up to, to calcium in the soil. So we have certain plants like buckwheat, excellent at solubilizing phosphorus. And then through the mycorrhizal network, able to share all the nutrients throughout the whole entire root system. Another thing we do in our blends is we have sunflowers. Everyone asks, why the sunflowers? Other than they look pretty. Why are, why are they in there? Well, they root really deep and they're really mycorrhizal dependent. So they're able to access nutrients way down on the soil profile. Uh, flax is uh, the same thing, but opposite. It's really shallow rooting. So we're able to access six, eight, 10 inches of soil profile and nutrients through the mycorrhizal network instead of sowing a monocrop where all the roots are the exact same level, right? Every plant needs biology to make the nutrient available, whether it's synthetic, fertilizer, or, or natural, right? It, it still needs biology, but that biology with all those roots at the exact same depth are only accessing those nutrients right there. I wish I was able to explain it more scientifically, just not the way my brain works, but that's how, through the right amount of diversity. And I mentioned before, if you have too much of one species, or even too much of two species, those other species aren't going to have a chance to get enough sunlight to, to do their part. When we sow our full season, for example, everybody, we get a lot of, it's only sowed at 65 pounds. So all those species have access to sunlight. We get a lot of calls in the spring. And if this company lasts for 120 years, we will still get calls in the spring. I won't be answering the phone anymore, but people will be getting that call. You know, my, <laughs> my full season looks fine, but it's really, it looks really thin or sparse compared to the neighbor's oat or barley field. But that's the exact purpose. We need everything to germinate and have an even chance of sunlight. Let mother nature decide what species will do best in that particular field. And then mm -hmm. we're off to the races. And then as the plants grow and that biology gets activated, then it hits what's called symbiosis when it's all working in unison. And then that field that looks sparse compared to the neighbor's, you know, oat or barley field ends up having as much or even more tonnage once it reaches symbiosis. With your blends, are they mostly like an annual blend where you would plant them and then terminate them either through grazing or whatever, and they don't regrow or will they regrow some of them year after year? No, they're all annual. And we've actually changed, uh, for example, we used to use annual ryegrass, which can go to seed in stressful situations like drought situations that will go to seed really early. So we were seeing farms have a lot of uh, volunteer annual ryegrass the following year. We use German millet and white wonder millet in our blends because they're a longer season, less chance of, of any volunteers, and everything else will just winter kill. Hairy vetch will overwinter. We source our hairy vetch seed from either Europe or the southern states, so it's never gone dormant. It doesn't have that genetic memory to overwinter. Guys are now growing hairy vetch in the prairie, sowing it in the fall. It overwinters, goes dormant, and then sets seed. So that, that's the type of period that we would use in our fall blend, for example. But that was a long-winded answer of saying, no, they, they won't overwinter. And guys will have no issue. I mean, some guys want them to overwinter. I just had a call to you the other day. It's like, I want some regrowth in the spring. Yeah. Uh, the vast majority of our customers don't want to deal with any regrowth in the spring. So that's how we're set up currently. 
Growing the number of acres with livestock integration on annual cropland is an opportunity to broaden the application of regenerative principles. From your experience, where has this worked well and what are the biggest challenges? It's worked well uh, with, uh, with several producers. We know that there's a, you know, a neighboring grain farmer who's willing to let them run their cows out on their land. So that's the simplest one. At the MFGA conference, we were a little disappointed. There was an article written in the Western Producer, and they pulled a quote from a guy that said, this is not an exact quote, but, you know, grain farmers won't work with cattle farmers, which sadly is broadly true, but there is people doing it, and that is where we need to go. And I think, you know, this is still relatively new, right? And I think more and more of that will happen. And with fencing technology now, I mean, one guy can fence a quarter section with polywire and a couple posts in, in, you know, a day. And as long as there's a water source. So I think as far as grain farmers getting on board, for lack of a better word, is that's where we can really see sharing back and forth. And we, I, I know of grain farmers that sow a full season, have guys bring, you know, 200 heifers and that rotational graze that. And then the next year they can go in with, with reduced fertilizer on a cereal crop. So that is, that is where it will start to happen more and more and more. I just didn't like the negative of, you know, grain farmers, well, they won't do it. Well, that's most, most of them won't, but I think lots of them are open to it too, right? Some that I think are the exception. And like you said, hopefully that turns around so that the exception is the people that, that don't want to have the cows in the land eventually. Mm. And that we're seeing much more cattle on cropland. Yeah. I'm going to cut you off there a little bit. Did you have any other challenges that you wanted to discuss for that? Um, I guess as far as introducing polycrops, everyone loves their corn silage who grows it. And I don't, I don't think that's a, a bad thing necessarily. I mean, there's been people feeding corn silage and getting massive tonnage for years now. And it, I mean, I, I've never grown it myself. I don't, I wouldn't say I, I hate corn silage or anything, but that is, if you can grow a corn crop, regardless of the cost, which is getting more expensive, but if you're getting 18, 20 ton off those acres, it's pretty hard for me as a cover crop salesman or anybody, any like union forager, you, you name it. It's, I think it's tough for us to go to that you know, that cattle farmer and say, Hey, why don't you try this polycrop? There's no fertilizer. Well, if we get half to three quarters of the tonnage and he needs all that tonnage to feed his cows on those acres, that is a, that's a bit of a setback and guys are, if they're only doing corn silage to feed their cows, that's tough for us to get in there and, and introduce diverse blends, I guess. Yeah. If you need all of that feed for mm-hmm. the number of cows you have, then that's, and then I've told some people that maybe they should have less cows, which I've had zero success with. That is, that is, uh, I learned that one the hard way. Don't tell people that. No one wants to hear that, whether I was right or wrong. That is not a thing to say. <laughs> learn, learn to do by doing, I guess. You never tell people they need less cows and you never tell people they should have more cows. No, just whatever they have is right. Yeah. yeah. And they'll never know how many cows they have really. So. No, exactly. <laughs> Under farm research and trials on the website, you have summaries of three trials that were carried out on farmers' fields. Can you describe the general trial structure you use and how these studies were selected? Yeah, well, the, the one is a, is a green manure disc down, and that wasn't really a trial. Um, a guy did it kind of on his own accord. He uh, took a half section, uh, sowed, I believe it was, I'm not even sure, half of the, the 80 acres was cover crop, and he just did a green manure plow down, and the other 80 acres was think canola. And he treated it like normal. The following year, he sowed corn across the entire quarter. And he had increased bushels. And I won't even say how much it was. At, well, I think it was 
maybe 15 to 20 to 30 increased bushels in corn. Again, it wasn't a, it wasn't a trial we did. It was just him sharing this information with us. So that's something we, we highlighted on the website that there is, there's an obvious yield increase doing agreement or a plow down, or, I mean, and he didn't, but he could have grazed it, right? That 80 acres. It just goes back to the bottom line is on that 80 acres and his green manure, he made zero income that one year. So he would have to double his yield, right? The following year to make up for that. That was interesting. That's the one. The other one was uh, the water infiltration test. That was in the Red River Valley. And that particular producer had a brand new corn planter and his compaction on his headlands was so brutal. He couldn't get his new corn planter in the ground. That's Red River clay and it's worth I, I mean, I'll probably be wrong, but $14,000 an acre, I might be shy on that. It's worth a lot of money. And I mean, it is, it is plated. It's brutal. The videos on our website, it's just not. So he sold a full season on the headlines and I think he had a neighbor square bailed it actually, but um, Travis had been there, one of our other co-founders and uh, put a shovel in the ground and uh, it was plated and hard. And um, then he went GPS the spot and went back in the fall, stuck the shovel in the same spot in the ground. And it was a chocolate cake, just exactly what's soil should look like. By introducing plant diversity, more root exits, more biology, which creates more stable soil aggregates, which infiltrates water better. So typically, we, we have a, it's a six inch ring, you pound it in the ground an inch, 500 milliliters of water poured into that six inch ring simulates an inch of rainfall. So it's not how much water you get, it's how much water you keep. I think that's a gay brown quote. So with better soil aggregates, you're able to infiltrate more water. So typically in our area, an inch of water will go in, the first inch will go in 45 minutes to an hour, the second inch in 10 hours or so. And the year after a full season, we're able to infiltrate an inch in about five minutes and the second inch in about half an hour. And that's not from a fancy chemical or drug or anything. It's just from plant diversity. We've used this video a lot in our presentations. Joe had sowed. Uh, full season mob grazed it and the next year he had oats sowed and it rained three inches and he went and walked across it in his boots and no mud in his boots no water sitting on the field um, that water was in there and stored and then that water will can be stored in those soil aggregates for you know if it doesn't rain again for six months that water's still there and available the following crop we've done lots of soybean with vetch trials that's almost past the trial stage now it's just a great idea it's a high carbon cereal and a low nitrogen legume. What we've done this year is gone in with uh, GMO forage soybeans. So a forage soybean, it comes from Alabama, it will never set seed here. And when a plant starts setting seed, any plant, it quits putting its energy into the soil. It quits putting root exit into the soil and takes all of its energy and makes seed. But with a forage soybean, because it'll never hit reproduction in our climate, it's too cool, it will continue to photosynthesize. So the one trial we did this year, there was 40 pounds residual N left after a big corn crop grown with forage soybeans. And corn's a massive nitrogen user, right? So they put down the same amount of nitrogen they always do, plus the forage soybeans, and they ended up with 40 pounds of N available to that next crop after a corn crop, which is really exciting. We're going to do a lot more trials of that going forward, trying to figure out the right populations of corn and the right seeding rate of forage soybeans. So I talked about guys that love their corn and I don't blame them um, on limited acres. Well, if we can just, all they got to do is add a forage soybean. Um, you get higher protein corn silage this way and you're, you're leaving some in your soil for the following year. So those are the trials we're kind of working on. That's super cool. With the corn and soybean trial, are you able to plant them at 
the same time. Within a day of each other. So go in with your corn planter and then your fertilizer and soybeans down at the same time. There's been lots of people trying to sow something into the corn when it started growing, and there's just very limited success because of, of sunlight, right? So it's the same with the vetch. Sow your corn with the planter and then go in with your, with your drill and sow your vetch and your fertilizer at the exact same time. The cool thing about vetch and, well, and the GMO for soybeans is that you can still spray your Roundup. You don't lose your herbicide pass. In the case of the vetch, it's herbicide resistant. So it just stunts it and knocks it back a bit. And then the corn canopies and vetch is a cool season legume that loves just taking advantage of, uh, of that shaded environment it's in and taking advantage of any waste and sunlight between the rows. In the case of the GMO forage soybeans, you can just treat it just like normal. And it just grows between the rows and captures with the wasted sunlight. I was talking with David Rourke and he was talking about being able to have cover crop seed that I can't think of what the right word is. That is, I guess, delayed so mm. that your grain crop can grow. And then 30 days later, 40 days later, however long the cover crop is delayed for, then it grows after that. So you only have to go over it once with the seeder, but you can seed both crops. Have you heard of that or looked into that at all? No, actually the first I heard of that, but he was at the MFGA conference, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that's the first time I'd ever heard about delayed germination, which is, yeah, that's a really neat idea. Very, very cool stuff. Yeah. And I had one more question that I wanted to ask you about that. Can you explain what the green manure plowdown is for any of our listeners who maybe don't know or aren't familiar with that term? Yeah, instead of going out and harvesting the cover crop to make silage or dry bale, you simply take a disker out and you lightly, you don't have the disker very far in the ground, but you're knocking down that, that cover crop. You're just flattening it and, and killing it. And then it, it mimics a mob graze without the cattle integration. So not as good, but you're still leaving all that material on the soil surface. The biology can consume it. You've got armor on your soil then. So that's the idea of a green manure. Perfect. Thank you. I feel like that's a term that I hadn't really heard until the last few episodes that we've been recording. And so I think it's maybe more of a newer term or just maybe it's something that they haven't heard as much. Yeah. And again, it's just not as popular because if you're doing a green manure, there is literally zero income from that. Right. All the soil health benefits are wonderful, but I mean, if you green manure in all your acres one year, you would have zero income. What farm research and trials were implemented last year? Last year, the big ones were the um, soybean corn but, uh, and defining the 40 pounds of residual N. We also had trials done at uh, a trial farm near Lloydminster. Um, we haven't got the data back yet. We tried like 50 pounds of, of fertilizer, different kind of fertilizer rates with, uh, with the cover crops. Um, I know it was really dry there, so I, I don't know whether we'll have anything earth shattering. But that was something we did. Um, it was the first time we've done any really third-party research, which we plan to do more of. It's wonderful for, for me or any of our, Joe or Trav, any of other co-founders get up and tell somebody about it, but someone will always be able to point to us and say, well, yeah, I mean, it's your company, right? So we're going to do a lot more third-party research. And then going forward this year, we're going to do more corn, soybean, and then more, more like long-term trials, like sowing a fall crop and then going with a warm season after, and then a full season the following year, or do a corn intercrop and then graze it, then sow a fall crop. There's lots of different options there, but more of a multi-year approach. Like we know we can cut your fertilizer bill to zero, sowing the full season one year. 
But if you, if that whoever that is transitions right back into conventional ag, I mean that, that was wonderful they did that. But let's let's figure out a two, three, four, five year rotation. You know how much fertilizer can we save you in year four with a proper rotation? You know corn, soybeans, a full season oats and vetch. There's just so many different options and how we can actually get somebody doing this for multiple years and knowing how much fertilizer we can save you all the way down the road, sort of that type of thing. Not just a, here's a full season, no fertilizer bill. Yeah, you got a lot of tonnage for your cows, great feed source, that's awesome. And then talk to you later kind of thing. Let's see how we can implement this for multiple years in a row. If there's listeners who are interested in being a part of a trial like that, whether it's a multi-year or a single year, can they contact you and chat with you about kind of some of those opportunities? Definitely. Yeah. I'm not the, uh, Joe Gardner is our uh, kind of a guy in charge of our trials, but yes, get a hold of me or, or emails through the website info covers and co and let us know you're interested. Uh, even better, let us know what idea you have. And, and then the ball gets rolling from there and we see where it goes, but yeah, for sure. Definitely reach out. It never hurts to reach out and we can, yeah, go from there. Hey, that sounds good. Can you describe the small community fund and how it is helping you achieve your company's mission? Yes, we're really excited about this. So we're giving $5,000 away every month to a small community fund. So through the website, you can apply for it. We want a short video explaining what your community is looking for, whether that be bald, like the first one that, that won was a Notre Dame ball diamonds to upgrade your ball diamonds. The second one was uh, the Crystal City here uh, where we have our office. They have a skating trail on the river. They're making, they're going to build a warming shack, cross-country skiing, that type of stuff. And the reason we're really proud of this is that we can talk about helping small communities all we want, but not we're all from Manitoba, right? Well, that's not true. We just hired a guy that is from Beaches, Saskatchewan, but, but there's ball diamonds and hockey rinks and halls that need help in you know, nowhere Saskatchewan, nowhere Alberta, we don't know them. So this way we can really put our money where our mouth is and, and yeah, send us a video and we'll, we'll give you $5,000. So check it out. If we've got some, uh, there's been two winners so far. We've got a lot of other good videos and uh, yeah, there's a lot of fun for us too to listen to watch the videos. So that's, that's what it is. We're really, we, we truly, it, it, it kind of sounds corny, but we truly, truly want to help small communities and get more people involved in their gender today. And we thought, what better way to do that than to say, here's some money to, to help. That's awesome. It's a great way to give back to those little towns that probably need it. Continuing on that topic, are there like specific projects that are eligible and others that aren't eligible or people just send in the video and you guys watch it and then decide from there? Yeah, basically decide from there. Like, I mean, we're, we're partial to small towns, obviously, but uh, no, there's nothing that, that wouldn't apply. I mean, if anything that helps a small town. Hopefully we get enough of them that we'll have lots to choose from, right? But no, nothing's, basically nothing's off limit. Uh, there's got to be a video though. We've got some that there was no video. There's got to be a video so we know what we're dealing with and, uh, and yeah, make, make it fun. Awesome. Tell me a bit about the farm panel discussion webinars that covers and co-hosts. Um, we're going to do more of them. They have been wildly successful. We were caught off guard actually how how awesome they were. So we've done lots and they're all on our YouTube channel, but we've done anything from bale grazing to intercropping. Um, we just get two or three producers who have experience in that and that particular area. Joe is a wonderful moderator and he's the one that moderates and asks questions. And uh, we plan to do more of those in January. We've also kicked around the idea. So stay tuned. 
on the website of doing our own one day conference, something like the MFGA did, but one day and have more of a, instead of an over an overarching regenerative egg type of thing, more of a, this is how you grow a full season. If you're curious, this is what you can do with it. More stuff like that. We're going to do one or both of those things uh, in the new year. Um, either a one-day conference, webinars, or some combination of both. Very cool. That's awesome. Tell you about the Soil Health blog and what kind of information producers can expect to find on there. Yeah, we've kind of let that one go by the wayside here as we've been busy. But what we do is pick a topic, like one we did, the nitrogen uh, nitrogen from the cattle farmer's perspective was the one that really hit the, hit the home closest to me. Um, and we did a little blurb about nitrogen prices and what it costs to sow a cover crop of a fertilizer versus the corn crop or versus a monocrop barley, the tonnage you get, you know, how it works out on the bottom line, feed quality. Um, so we hope to do more of those going forward too, maybe on every other monthly basis. But the blogs are nice because we can go, we can go pretty off base if we want, right? We can do one just on peas and canola. You know, we can do one on just corn and soybeans or just the full season or just the warm season. So we, we do plan to do more of those, but there's a there's not a lot of time in the day, it seems, but the busier, the busier we get doing everything, just the day-to-day stuff, you, you get through a day, and like I did all those day-to-day jobs, what about these overarching things, but we're, uh, we're in the process of hiring some, some more people to help us with, with that type of stuff. So, And like I said, our, our motto is connecting farmers to soil health, and the way to do that is through knowledge and, mm-hmm. and videos and just people talking is the best way to get it out there. You guys kind of seem like your company has exploded, so I can see why you're very busy. Yeah, it's it's um it's been really cool. I mean, Joe and Trav had this idea around Joe's kitchen table. You know, Joe had been doing all this forever. He went down to Gabe Brown's farm 10 or 15 years ago and started implementing these ideas on his own farm. And just they just really thought, I mean, yes, it's a business, but I think we can help other farms do this, right? I, I think we we all deserve in the company a lot of credit for how hard we've worked and the job we do, but we can't hide from the fact that uh, high fertilizer prices helped us sell a lot of seed last year. So it's a uh, I, I mean, I guess it's a silver lining for us overall. It's a poor thing for agriculture, but mm-hmm. it did help us. I'm a sales manager. I don't consider myself a salesman. I consider myself a farmer who just really enjoys talking to other farmers. And uh, I guess that approach has worked to this point. And we didn't really talk about it, I guess, but when did Covers & Co. start? And kind of what are your what are your goals or what are you guys looking towards doing as a company in the future? This upcoming season will be our third growing season as an incorporated company. The previous year was when they first, uh, and I was one of the ones that got some seed that year. They just started blending themselves. I think there was maybe a hundred ton of seed or something. And they just kind of got it out there to, uh, you know, a few local farms. Where we go is, um, I think right now we're not struggling, but how much can we grow? How much do we want to grow? Uh, Joe, Mark, and I all have our own farms. Um, and then we, we're not walking away from it by any means. So, and um, I listened to a shout out to another podcast. I'm not going to get any money for this, but how I built this with Guy Raz. It's, he talks to entrepreneurs and, and a big theme of that is a lot of businesses grow too quick. So we would like to concentrate. Yes, of course, we need to continue to sell seed to operate as a company, but we'd like to not get too carried away. You know, let's, you know, increase our sales every year, but, but really concentrate on that marketing side of things and the knowledge side of things and maintain that like two years ago i i think i knew everyone that sold the full season and i certainly didn't last year which is 
a good thing, but also we'd like to really stay in touch with the, with the farmers. I guess I, I don't know. I, I wish I had everyone in the room here together to answer that question, but continue to grow as a business and keep selling cover crops, make our blends better, get more, like maybe we'll be able to offer, you know, for soybeans or individual seeds for sale is something that we'll probably do. And maybe custom blends as part of that in the future as well. But continue with our, we get compliments on the website all the time, continue to make that side of our business better. I think, and that's what, that's what makes most of us feel most proud is the, when a farmer says, hey, I was on your website and I learned this, you know, it's, it's great that they're sowing a full season cover too, but just educating people, it's pretty cool. The passion that you guys have is, is exciting. Yeah. It's not just about, like you said, not just about selling the product, but it's about getting that knowledge out to people and really expanding the regenerative egg base as a whole. Yeah. And I, and I, I think all our competing companies would agree, like we cannot sell to every single forage acre in Canada, no company can, right? So if I get someone interested in soil health and blends and they go to a competitor and buy a blend, I really do think that is a win. If you're implementing plant diversity and saving fertilizer on your own farm and making your cow calf or background operation more profitable, that's awesome. That's what we, that's what we want. That's what I want to do anyway, is get more people in, involved in, I mean, I, I want to save the cattle industry, really. It's a tall order, but if cattle made as much money as the grain farm in the last 10 years, there'd be more cows. It's just the mm -hmm. way it is. There's no way around it. It's harder to make money with cattle. So hopefully we can help more people do that. That's fantastic. Where should a farmer start when they're thinking about trying intercropping or cover cropping for the very first time? Buy a blend that you get. You don't have to add anything to it. You just put it in your drill and sow it. Um, that's kind of how we're a little different with our full season. We don't add any oats and peas to it. And that's pretty simple, right? You just take your drill out and sow it. Intercropping, I talk to someone who's done it. Uh, we have a lot of contacts like uh, Chris Seymour. Um, I'll throw his name out at Manitou. who's done a lot of intercropping and had good success with it. So talk to somebody else about that who's had experience with it. I think that's a big one, right? We're lucky enough now that we're a little bit far enough down this regenerative path. And lots of guys are that there's somebody to talk to. Like I think even 10 years ago, there might've been, maybe there was four numbers, right? You could call that the guys know what was going on. Now there's more and more out there that do. So there's lots of guys. And I mentioned Chris Seymour, first name at the top of my head, but uh, Chris Ropers at Cardale. Like there's reach out to Covers and Cove. We can put you in contact with guys. Pretty much any question you have, we know someone if we don't know who's had experience with that, right? So I think that's where if you start wanting to think about intercropping, talk to somebody who's had experience. Someone who's done it long enough has made the mistakes, right? So you can talk to that person and they'll say, oh, I did this a couple of years in a row and it was a failure. And then it saved you that step because of that guy's hard work and trial and error. You get to save that step and then carry on. Mm -hmm. That's where I think it's, uh, and then simply put, this is going to sound like a sales pitch, but if you're right now, if you're growing a monocrop odor barley silage, a full season cover crop can just replace that with no fertilizer. And in most cases, you'll have the same tonnage or more and a more balanced food ration. So you're not changing a whole lot, right? Instead of buying the oats and barley, you're buying a full season. What funding is available to producers who want to grow cover crops on their land? The watershed uh, districts of Saskatchewan and Manitoba have, I believe there's $35 an acre up to a certain amount. So contact your local watersheds. In Alberta, it's called RDAR is the program out there. And I don't know the amount of money per acre and stuff, but if you're from Alberta listening that's the kind of, that RDAR is what they're called to get a hold of, but there is lots of money available for cover cropping. Um, it's a relatively simple form to fill out, but all I can really do is tell you to contact your local 
watershed representative and they'll put you in touch with the forms and stuff. $35 an acre is, a, is almost half the cost of our full season this year. So, I mean, it's, that's, that's, that can be a, a hurdle for people because monocrop barley is cheaper oats, right? Than a, anybody's cover crop blend. But if you're getting half that back, why, why wouldn't you do it, right? To fill out some yeah. forms so a cover crop could have your money back. And if you get half your money back and don't have to put down your fertilizer. I know, um, I know. Where can listeners find you and Covers & Co. if they would like more information? Uh, coversandco.ca, the website we mentioned, we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those good things. And I will add the coversandco.ca into the show notes. And I'll also go on and find your handles for Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And I'll put those in there as well. Perfect. So if there's people looking, they can go to there and find those. Is there anything else about the work of Covers & Co. that you'd like to share before we wrap up today? I know I've mentioned it before, but I guess we, we really want to help the farmers. When I put my head on the pillow at night, that's what I, if I had a conversation with a guy and I never know if he bought seed, but if he asked me some questions and I can give him a little guidance and he can serve, save some fertilizer and, and make a little more money in his farm. I think that's what we're all about to start with. You know, at, at that kitchen table at Joe's when Joe and Trap first had this idea, it didn't come from a, Hey, we're going to do this and we can maybe, maybe we'll make a whole bunch of money. Coversco wasn't born out of that. It was born out of, I think there's something seriously wrong with conventional agriculture. Maybe we can do this small thing and help change it. And I think we've been humbled with how we've done so far, but there's a lot of work to be done. And I think we know we never change everybody's mind and don't want to even, but I, I just think that's what we are as, as a company. And uh, I've, I've said it to people and oh yeah, but you, you make money on the seed and it, it's true. We do. We're a business. Yes, we are. But I, I think that's where we come from. Connecting farmers to soil health. That's a simple, it's a simple sentence, but that's what we're doing. And that's what we're passionate about. And it makes sense that as a business who's putting in the time and the effort, you should be reimbursed for that. Right. Sure. Like yeah. You're yeah. making the money, but you're also putting in the time, your boots on the ground. You guys are yes. out there working to make this change. So, yeah. And I mean, I know it, it's helped my own farm's bottom line. It, it really has. I mean, I would be using Covers & Co. if I wasn't a, a part of it. And it's really, really has. It's changed our soil. It's changed our bottom line. It's it's making a difference. That's awesome. And your head office is located in Crystal City, right? Yes, Crystal City, Manitoba. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really enjoyed our conversation and just getting to know a little bit more about the company and the people behind it has been fantastic. Well, thanks for having me. This is my first ever podcast interview. So they'll only get better from here, maybe. No, <laughs> no, it was really good. I was glad to do it. You did great. That was, that was perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. The research programs and daily operations at MBFI would not be possible without funding from the province of Manitoba, Government of Canada, and Canadian Agricultural Partnership, as well as partnership with Manitoba Agriculture, Manitoba Beef Producers, Ducks Unlimited Canada, and the Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beef and Forage Roundup. For more information on the on-farm projects or upcoming extension events, please visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at mbbeefandforage. For full project reports and more information about MBFI, please visit our website, mbfi.ca. If you have feedback on the show, 
questions about content, are interested in becoming a project supporter, or want to submit a proposal for a research project topic, please email information at mbfi.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an upcoming episode. We've got lots to share.